great to see all of you here today, and I'm looking out at you, and there is a lot more people in here today than there was last week, and that is pretty awesome. And you know what? I think we're going to have to have a serious conversation this week about adding another service as we try to, you know, continue to, yeah, we clap for that. Because as we're all doing our best to social distance and all that, I don't know how we'd get very, more pe- very many more people in here. So we're going to have a serious conversation about that, and we'll be letting you know. Man, you know, wasn't worship this morning really fantastic? How many of you just needed that? And I, I'm going to be honest with you, it made me kind of thirsty. I am, and you know, I'm thinking that I would, you know what would be good for today? I would love to have a Diet Coke right now. Do you guys care if I drink a Diet Coke while I preach? Is that going to bother any? Well, you know, I don't like drinking alone, to be quite honest with you. Um, You know what? Come on up. I brought Diet Cokes and Cokes for everybody. Come on in. We got coolers. Bring those up to the front. If you want a Coke or Diet Coke, just raise your hand. They're ice cold. They're in cans. Just raise them up high. I'm going to come down and get one because I'm thirsty. Raise them up high. We'll get you a Coke. Thank you. Now, don't open them yet. Just grab it. Don't open it. Just hold it. Anybody over here, raise them up high. I know you guys want some. There's some over there. These things are ice cold, let me tell you. Hands up real high if you'd like a Coke or Diet Coke. And just hold it. Don't, don't open it yet. Just hold it. All right, I see some more over there. And I know we have enough because I personally loaded these coolers myself this morning. Actually, I had some help. I had some help last night today, but... They are ice cold. All right, we got a few over here. If who else wants a Coke or Diet Coke? Because, you know, I don't like drinking by myself. All right, we got some more over here. Don't open them just yet. Jane, did you just open your Diet Coke? (laughs) Here I go, don't open it yet. (laughs) That's Jane Briley. All right, we we got a few more back here. We got a few back here. Taylor, we got a few back there. All right, anybody, we don't want to miss anybody. Where else can you go on a Sunday morning and have worship and preaching and a Coke? The New Life Christian Church. All right. Okay, we got a few more back here. You know, this went a lot quicker last night. There weren't as many people here. All right, anybody else we don't miss anybody? Okay, I think we got everybody. Thank you guys for passing those out. Give them all a round of applause. Oh, we almost had Diet Coke spillage. That would not have been good. All right, here's what I wanted to do. Um, On the count of three, let's just open them all together at the same time and let's see what that sounds like, all right? Okay, so I'm gonna go one, two, three, kachish, all right? Not one. (laughs) Who's opening their Diet Cokes? I'm kidding, all right, ready? I'm gonna go one, two, three, kachish, all right? One, Jane. Did you open a second one? No, I'm just, all right, I'm kidding. One, two, three. No, man, is that not a good sound? Let's drink. Hallelujah. Now, there, there was no reason for that other than I just wanted to hear what that sounded like. Man, I'll tell you, I love Diet Coke. I think you guys know that. Did you know that uh, Coca-Cola used to be promoted Um, this way, that if everybody would just drink a Coke, the world would be in harmony. Did you know that? 
I mean, that used to be, in fact, one of the most memorable marketing campaigns that Coca-Cola ever had promoted that idea right there. If everybody would just drink a Coke, we'd all live in harmony, and Coca-Cola produced one of the most memorable jingles that they've ever created. I think many of you will remember this. Remember this from a long like time ago? To teach the world to sing. Remember? It's the real thing. That's how the rest of the song goes. So, hey, don't, now how many remember that? Now, that's going back a few years. But, yeah, that little jingle has survived the test of all these decades because there's something that feels good about it, and it, it ties into what they were trying to do. Man, if we just drink a Coke, everything would be okay. Now, Bill Backer was the one, the name of the guy that originally came up with this marketing campaign. And here's, here's the history of it. He was on a flight to London, and it got diverted by bad weather, and he had to land in Ireland with everybody else in the plane, and they couldn't leave, and they were stuck there all night long. Have you ever been stuck in an airport overnight? That's not fun, is it? And so he's stuck there. Everybody's grumpy. Nobody's happy. But the next morning, when, uh, when he's mingling around, he notices that a number of the people from the plane were hanging out at this coffee shop in the airport, and they were all laughing, having a good time, and it seemed like nothing was wrong and nothing could have bothered him. And, and he notices that they all had something in common. They were all drinking a bottle of Coke. And this idea came to him that maybe Coca-Cola could bring people together. And, and, in, and in the book called The Care and Feeding of Ideas, he recounts that moment. He said, in that moment, I began to see a bottle of Coca-Cola as more than a drink. I began to see the familiar words, hey, let's have a Coke. And in a subtle way, it was like saying, hey, let's just keep each other company for just a little while. So the basic idea of that whole campaign was to see Coca-Cola as something more than just a drink, but to see it as like this tiny little bit of commonality between all people, like this universally liked formula around the world that when people would drink it, just kind of made them feel good and it made them feel like they had company. They were trying to sell this idea, Coke makes harmony, Coke brings people together. And I'm going, man, can you imagine if that were true? Can you imagine if all it took was to create a little harmony among people was to drink a Coke? I mean, if that were the case, every refrigerator in every home in the world would have an endless supply of Coke, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if all it took to bring a little harmony to your household was some Coke? boy, we would stock that thing full. We'd have a separate refrigerator out in the garage with nothing but Coke, wouldn't we? I guarantee you, if Coke brought harmony, that we would have Coca-Cola available, available here at the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Coke machines inside and outside the building everywhere. Every, every uh, worship service, every youth group, every life group, mandatory. You gotta drink a Coke before we start. I mean, every leadership meeting, every Bible study, every ministry activity we do here at the church, you gotta drink a Coke first. Coke would be offered, wouldn't it, in every classroom, in every school in the world if it brought harmony. Every office, every factory in America would have a Coke. Every police station and every courthouse in America would require that you drink a swig of Coke before you walk through these doors. 
If Coke brought harmony, wouldn't we airdrop this stuff on Washington, D.C. every day? We would, wouldn't we? (laughs) Every restaurant, every gas station, every truck stop would have a sign hanging out front that said, Coke served here daily because it's the harmony drink. But it's not true, is it? No, it's just a little can of awesomeness. (laughs) That's all it is. You know, I'm sure that all of us can think of at least one person in our lives right now who we are not in harmony with. There's probably at least one. At least one person in your life that when you think about them, this thought comes to your mind. That person was put on this earth for the sole reason of causing me grief. We probably all have one of those. Well, I can tell you, I think you'd agree with this. When relationships aren't right, when you are out of harmony with somebody else, man, life can be miserable. Did you hear about Rufus and George? They were best friends for a while until they got uh, marooned on a deserted island, okay? And they were there for about a year, and one day, George is, or excuse me, Rufus is walking along the beach, and he finds this bottle, and he picks it up, and as he's rubbing the sand off of it, a genie pops out. So you know this is a true story. And so his genie pops out, and, and George, from across the beach, sees this, and he runs over, and he grabs the bottle out of Rufus's hand, and he goes, nope, I get the wish, not you. And the genie said, sorry, George, that's not how it works. Rufus found me, and so Rufus gets the wish. He gets one, just one, but I'll make you a deal. Since there's two of you here, I'll make you this deal. That whatever Rufus wishes for, I will give you twice as much. And so George's like, man, that sounds good to me. So he hands the bottle back to Rufus, and Rufus gets this very kind of sinister grin on his face, and he goes, I know exactly what I'm gonna wish for, Jeannie. I want you, I wish that you would beat me half to death. That's what I want right there. (laughs) Beat me half to death. But I tell you, you know what? When relationships aren't right, life can get kind of miserable, like I said, it's probably at least one person that we can all think of that we're not quite in harmony with. And if I had to guess, I would say that even during this pandemic that we're living through with all the strong opinions, you guys know there's some strong opinions floating around out there, aren't there? And with all the adjustments that we've had to make and with decisions that have been made that have affected all of our lives drastically, there's probably a pretty good chance out there that somewhere along this pandemic, you've kind of fallen out of cahoots with somebody Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter 3. You got your Bibles? 1 Peter 3 is where we're gonna be. We're in a series right now, many of you know, that we're just calling COVID and the Christian. And we're trying to answer this question throughout this series. And the question is, how should we as Christians be living, our, living out our faith during this historic moment in history? And I hope you guys do see this as a very historic moment in our history. How should we as Christians be living out our faith during this thing? And I think 1 Peter is like the perfect book of the Bible to help us navigate this crazy season that we're living in right now. I've been referring to the book of 1 Peter, if you've been with us for a few weeks here, I've been referring to 1 Peter as the Christian's manual for enduring COVID with your faith intact. I really think that's what 1 Peter 
is. Both in Peter's day and in our day, we are experiencing some suffering. Now, no, it's not the exact same thing. There's similar things. But no, the church in Peter's day was not suffering through a virus outbreak. But the, the teaching that he gives them and how they should respond to the difficulties they're dealing with really is no different than how we should be responding to the difficulties that we are dealing with right now. So in our text today, Peter is going to challenge us like he did the original recipients of his letter, the first century Christians. He's going to challenge us just like he did them. And that challenge would be this, to live in harmony with one another. That's what our text is going to say. Now, that can be challenging in the best of times, but like I said, you add coronavirus on top of that, and then with all the opinions and the politics and the civil unrest and all the nonsense on social media that comes with it, well, we just might be living in the most unharmonious time of any of our lives. I want you to check out what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to go down to verse 8. That's where we're going to start today. He says in verse 8, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Now, let me stop right there real quick. We're going to read more. But when you see somebody in Scripture write, finally, it means I'm going to bring this thought to a conclusion. Here's my last thing I'm going to say about it. Well, we're starting here. So obviously, he's referring to something that he already wrote. Well, we studied the already wrote part last week. You remember in 1 Peter 2? And do you remember what he talked about last week? He talks to the church about living really good lives. Live really good lives among people that don't like you, among the pagans, and by doing that, by living a great life and a good life and being a law-abiding citizen, you're gonna shut the mouths of ignorant people and you're gonna open the door for them to hopefully one day honor the Lord, but it starts with your good life. That's what he's talking about. Then he also talks about submission, how we are to live submissive lives and submission is the key ingredient to living a good life for the Lord and so submit to local authorities and governing authorities and he gives some other examples and all of that together, he says, so finally, here's my final thought on the issue. Live in harmony with one another. Do good and all these good things can happen from that but just live in harmony with one another. Then he says, be sympathetic Love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is gonna harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And if I could summarize this passage of scripture that we just read together into like this one singular truth, it would be this right here. Striving to live in harmony with others speaks volumes about who and what you're really living for. 
Now, striving to live in harmony with others, it speaks volumes about who and what you're really living for. Who are we living for? Well, I hope the answer is obvious. We are living for Jesus Christ. That's the who. And, and the what is a blessing, ultimately the blessing of heaven. We're striving and for God's blessing. So when, when you think about, boil it down, who are we? Who are we? We are people trying to live good lives trying to be everything that God wants us to be. And when we do that, that speaks volumes about who we actually believe in and what we're actually aiming for. That's really what Peter is is talking about. Now, when we read this text, I think it's important that we spend a moment making a distinction here. Because we have to determine something in this text. Is Peter just talking to the church and how they interact with other Christians? Or is Peter giving them instructions of how they interact with everybody, Christians and, and unbelievers? Some will read this text that we just read and they will apply this just to the church. Now, Peter's just talking to the church. He's talking about harmony within the body of believers. And the reason they draw that conclusion is because in verse eight, it says, love as brothers. And kind of a universally accepted term in the New Testament, when somebody says, my brothers and my sisters, it's usually a reference to the church. It's it's a pretty common expression. But you know, then I read verse nine, and he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. It's no secret that sometimes if you spend enough time in church, you know, sometimes you, you, know, you may feel like you get insulted. Sometimes you get your feelings hurt. You spend enough time in church, then sometimes well, it's not as happy as you'd like it to be. I thought there might be an amen out there from somebody. I've experienced that. But I will tell you this, from everything I've read so far in 1 Peter, I think it seems a little strange that Peter would all of a sudden shift gears and address some kind of internal strife within the body of Christ. You know, because before that, he was talking about live good lives among the pagans. And even though they'd see your good life, they may be open to the Lord. It seems strange that all of a sudden he's shifting gears in that thought. What makes sense to me in the context and the flow of the letter is that he's instructing Christians on how to relate to the outside world, to those who are persecuting them, to those that don't understand decisions that you're making, to, to people that look down on you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, this is how we should always act with one another in the church, but how about those outside the church? So I don't see this as an either or. I see this as a both and. Live in harmony with everybody. That's the context of our passage. And I think within the church, striving to live in harmony with everybody in this room, that should be a given. That should be something like, I'm gonna do that no matter what because it's my brother and sister in Christ. But I think Peter is letting us know that it's an expectation for those that are outside the church. Yeah, it should be given in here. It should be expected of us out there for all the reasons Peter lists off in the first two chapters of his letter. And then in, the very, in verse eight again, if you go back and look at it, I think this is replying, referring to everybody, but then he gives us what I'm just gonna call these four virtues of harmony. He rattles off four terms that I think are all like subcategories of the big picture of harmony. The first one is he says, be sympathetic. Do you see that there in verse eight? Be sympathetic. You know what sympathy is? Sympathy is like, I am so sorry that you're going through such a difficult season. That's sympathy. 
Living in harmony with people has something to do with having sympathy towards people. He also says, love as brothers. Love as brothers. You know how you love somebody as a brother? Loving somebody as a brother is like, I'm here for you. I'll walk down this journey, arm in arm for you. Yeah, if you need me, I'm there. You know, it's not lip service, it's, it's actionable. So living in harmony has something to do with, with, with being sympathetic, having massive love in your heart, loving somebody like a brother. There, there's another word, it's be compassionate. It's compassion has this sense of like, I care about you. How can I help you get through this? What do you need from me? You're not alone. I've been there. That's compassion. Compassion has something to do with harmony. And then the fourth one is be humble. Uh, Humility is this you before me, your needs before mine. It doesn't have to be my way. I can go with you and you've got good, good ways about it. Humble is I can, how can I serve you? Sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble. I don't know about you, but I think these four virtues of harmony were difficult enough before the coronavirus, but even more challenging since. When, when Peter wrote this to the original church, he was challenging them to find ways to live in harmony with everybody, even those people, those leaders who are persecuting you, disparaging you, it's, it's amazing to me how First Peter, and really the rest of the Bible for that matter, still fits so well in the context of the 21st century and what we're dealing with. See, the Christians Peter was writing to were being persecuted for their faith, made fun of, disparaged against. I think it's impossible not to notice that even in our country today, it's becoming more and more unfriendly towards Christians. Have you noticed that? There's an increasing amount of negativity thrown towards Christianity today. Now, I'm not gonna stand up here and pretend that what we're dealing with in the United States right now is what the church in Peter's day was dealing with. I think they were dealing with a little heavier-handed persecution. And I'm not gonna stand up here today and pretend that the persecution that we feel, this negative attitude towards Christianity in our country, even comes close to what our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are dealing with, where it's against the law to even be a Christian. There's a death sentence connected to it. I'm thinking like countries like North Korea and China, Sudan and and Iran and many other Muslim-controlled nations where just uttering the name of Jesus can get you thrown in prison for years years. So I'm not going to pretend that what we're dealing with is that. Not yet anyway. But there is certainly a negative trend against Christianity in the media, which has spilled out on our nation, especially our young adults. Not to mention that what is really promoted in all forms of media, you know, lifestyles and behaviors that are glorified really are the kind of lifestyles and behaviors that our grandparents, when they were our age, wouldn't even talk about in the shadows, really. It just wasn't acceptable, but today it is. You know, I think, but today, more than any other time that I've known, there just seems to be an open and unconstrained negativity towards Christianity. Why? is that. This is where what Peter's writing to the church is is where we're dealing with many of the same things. 
Why is that? Why is there such a negative, unconstrained, bad glare at Christians today? Why in the media, television, movies, and everything else, why are Christians portrayed as hypocrites and those who are intolerant or weaklings or or weirdos? Why are Christians portrayed as the ones who are the racist or the extremist or the fallen or even the violent at times? Why do we get openly mocked? Well, you, you know the reason why, don't you? The main reason is simply because of the message of Christianity. That's why. And what is that message? That message is that we are all sinners and we are in need of a savior. And Jesus Christ is that savior who gave his life for the world. And our response is to deny self, live in submission to him, live our lives in a way that honors the Lord. And friends, that ain't Hollywood. And that is not Washington, D.C. And that's not in a number of places in between those two places. Because we live in a world exemplified by the media that says, I want to do what I want to do. Don't tell me that I can't do what I want to do and I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. Don't try to infringe upon my hedonism. You know, the Apostle Paul, he warns us that the things of God, you know the stuff that we hold dear and believe from God's word, you know those things are actually foolishness to those people who don't know Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said this, the person without the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling with the Holy Spirit, it's the signal of I'm saved, Jesus is in my heart. So the person without that does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. A few years ago, a friend of mine sent me a video link to a video of a comedian who came out on stage in front of a thousand people or so, and in his hand, he was holding a copy of The Purpose Driven Life. Anybody read that book before? It's almost considered required reading by many Christians. Rick Warren wrote it. Um, It's like, you know, (laughs) Christians usually have the Bible and The Purpose Driven Life on the same shelf together. I don't know if I'd give it that much credit, but it's, it's a good book. And this comedian came out And for a good portion of his act, he began to read different portions and sections of the purpose-driven life, making fun of it, taking things out of context, bashing Christians, um, that anybody would believe this and try to live their life, all to the laughter and the applause of everybody in the room. And I'll be honest with you, it made me angry. And if you'd have seen it too, it would have made you angry. And I'm just gonna confess something. The last thing that I was thinking about while I was watching his little comedy routine was how can I live in harmony with this idiot? That's not what I was thinking. But as I thought more about it, I think the Lord reminded me that this comedian, he isn't the only one who feels this way. It's not like just some weird, odd, single person in the world that has these feelings. No, I think the Lord reminded me this comedian actually represents probably a lot of people. Probably represents the guy that lives next door to you. This comedian probably represents the guy that sits on the other side of the cubicle or goes to, has his lunch break at the exact time that, that you have yours. Uh, this comedian 
might represent your father-in-law or your brother or another member of your family. This comedian could very well represent the politician who thinks that faith is for the weak. This comedian may represent that college professor who absolutely loves it when he has a first semester freshman walk through the door of his classroom so he has an opportunity to completely destroy the faith. This comedian probably represents the waiter at your favorite restaurant who actually hates waiting on Sundays because Christians don't tip and they come across as self-righteous and rude. This comedian might just well represent the baseball coach of your kid's team who thinks that Christians are a bunch of do-gooders for not letting their children play games on Sunday. You know, if we're really serious about this charge to live in harmony with everybody, then I think we need to get over the idea of being a Christian and actually be one. I wish it was as simple as drinking a can of Coke. I I wish that's all it took. But really the only way to experience the kind of harmony that, uh, that Peter is teaching us, the only way is to truly just walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Because there was no one better at it than Jesus. Jump down to verse nine of our text. Let me show you something. Peter writes this in verse nine. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I read that, I'm going, okay, I know for a fact that, that God is not calling me to be a doormat. I don't think he's ever called any of us to be a doormat and get walked on. He's not telling us, don't ever speak up. In fact, you read the very, you know, verse 15, it seems like the exact opposite of that. No, we are to speak up. I think he's telling us to show all the haters of the world what the love of God looks like through our actions. So the flesh side says, oh, I'm gonna get you back. You're not gonna get away with that. And Peter's like, let the harmonious side go and reign supreme. I can tell you this, something I I really wrestled with, and I, I, I believe in my heart at this point in my life is so true, that you know, God never called me or you to shut the mouths of those who mock our faith. I don't read that as as one of our jobs. Quite frankly, God can shut their mouths anytime he wants to. But we are called to live for Jesus, to strive to live in harmony, and if we will, then that speaks volumes about who and what we're really living for, and it opens the door for God to do what God does best. Because we are called to something much higher than I think any of us really know. We are living today a certain way because it matters for eternity. And so when we strive to live in harmony with everybody to the very best of our ability, and we really take root of these, these, these four virtues of being sympathetic and, and being loving and compassionate and humble before everybody, even the mockers and the haters and people like that, not paying back evil with evil or insult with insult. Man, if you could live your life that way, doesn't that really speak volumes about who and what you're really living for? 
Jump down to verse 10, look at this. It says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Yeah, sometimes I wish I had a piece of duct tape for some people I know. It's like, don't you understand what you're doing? You're making it harder for that person to know Jesus. So we must keep watch over our tongues, keep evilness out of our lips and our speech. Verse 11 says, he must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. And I'm telling you, no one did it better than Jesus. And if you're not familiar with how Jesus did this, go back and read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, and you'll relate well with how Jesus did it. Like, like one time, Jesus was invited to somebody's house, and, and this house, the man that owned the house was Matthew. Matthew didn't have the best past. Not everybody liked him. There was a lot of people at that house that were kind of, you know, why would Jesus be interacting? And when people saw this, they made this comment about Jesus. Ha, huh, he eats and drinks with sinners, and that's no little statement. Why could Jesus eat and drink with sinners? Because he exemplified one of these four virtues of harmony. He was sympathetic to people in their, in their life and, in their, and he knew what they really needed. And he's like, I have sympathy for you and I have compassion. If you follow Jesus' ministry through the gospels, you know that many times he healed people and the basis, the foundation of those healings was how much love he had for people. He did good to them. The miracles of Jesus were awfully one-sided. It was all about, because I love you. And that's the basis of it. You know, when Jesus fed the, the 5,000 people, you know what the Bible says? says? He looked out at the crowd, all these people, and he saw that they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And then it says that Jesus had this massive amount of compassion for them. If you follow Jesus' ministry, there were people that chased him around the country all angry and looking to trip him up and looking for ways to kill him. But many of those hostile people changed their ways when they saw how good he was and how good he treated them. Probably one of the best examples is right at the end of Jesus' life, the thief on the cross. You wanna talk about how humble Jesus was? Here, this thief even hurled insult to Jesus when they nailed him to the cross. But throughout the course of their time hanging on the cross, something changed in him. And do you remember, he looks over at Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And you know how easy it would have been for Jesus to say, who do you think you are? You had your whole life to get it right. This isn't the first time you saw me around the city. You could have followed me any time. Now you want me to do something for you? You know how easy it would have been for Jesus to say that? Because that's how we want to say it. But Jesus, with massive amounts of compassion and love and sympathy and humility, he looks at this man in that moment and he says, today, it's like, Jesus, I look right in your heart. I know where you're at. I know, what, I know it right now. Even here at the end of your life, you're moments from death. Today you'll be with me in paradise. If we're gonna live in harmony, I mean real harmony that goes well beyond just getting along with people. You know, I think you can be in harmony with somebody and not really wanna spend time with them. Just think about that. I had a friend of mine that said to me something one time, 
um, it was going through a difficult season, he was, and, and uh, he's like, man, I just wanna tell this person I love you because Jesus loves you, not because I wanna hang out with you. <laughs> but you spend some time with that thought. You can be in harmony with somebody and not really wanna spend time with them because harmony is much deeper than just getting along with somebody. It has all things to do with humility and sympathy and compassion and humility. I think when we exemplify these things in our lives, I think harmony is the result. But look no further than Jesus, how he did it. Look at verse 15. It says in verse 15, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. That right there, my friends, is the ticket. Just be like Jesus. And then he goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, there's a certain way to talk about the Lord. There's a certain way to be evangelistic. He says, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's almost like Peter is saying this. While doing good, while living out a good life, don't forget or don't neglect the greatest good. The, the greatest good is telling somebody how much God loves them and being very open about what God has done in your life. I uh, remember a number of years ago, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine. His name's Jim. He's a preacher too. And, um, and we were hanging, he, he pastors in another state and, and I was in his home state with him. And uh, he got on a list at the hospital that could be one of those pastors that they could call if any of their patients requested a pastor pretty common. And so we were out hanging out and he gets a call from the hospital and they said, yeah, somebody is near death and they're asking for a pastor. Will you come? And so he's like, hey, let's, let's go up there and talk to this guy. And, and so we went and we walked into this room and obviously this is before coronavirus. You couldn't do this right now. And this room was jam packed full of people. And so it's kind of one of those rooms like, excuse us, two pastors coming through, pardon me. And I, I don't wanna judge any room when I walk into it, but if I had to guess, um, this wasn't the church crowd. Is that a nice way to say it? In fact, there might have been even a little hostility towards two clergy members walking into the hospital room. There was the man on his bed, and his name was Dwayne. And I don't know, I'm guessing there was probably 10 or 12 people and they weren't happy to see us. But Dwayne said, come over. And my friend Jim, I kind of hung in the back. This was, this was Jim's mission. <laughs> and he sat down next to Dwayne's bed. And, and Jim didn't know Dwayne at all. But he just gently and lovingly started to tell Dwayne about all the things that God has done for him. And all the reasons that he still can have some hope in this world and that the Lord still desires to restore and love. And I don't know if Dwayne changed his heart that day, but boy, I sure was touched by my friend's willingness to be about the greater good. Even though we were in a room that felt like they wanted to strangle us. <laughs> That's a little extreme. While doing good, don't neglect the greatest good. 
Be humble, be sympathetic, be compassionate, be, be loving. Th- these are the ingredients for harmony. And I, I sure wish those four things were in this can. Because I would carry one of these with me everywhere I went if that was the case. I, I kind of do anyway, but it's not in there. <laughs> but let me tell you, what you can carry with you every day is an eagerness to do good, and that's an eagerness that comes from setting apart Christ as Lord of your life. That's what you can carry with you every day. You can carry with you every day a confidence that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and he is attentive to their prayers. That's what it says in the text. What you can do is you can carry with you every day the ability and the striving, the heart to live in harmony with everybody you interact with. And the basis of it is being a sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble person who's doing it for Jesus. And you can carry with you every day the hope of eternal life and the knowledge that no matter how difficult life can get down here, there is a blessing waiting for us in eternity and what we get to experience in eternity is incredible and it makes what we experience here on earth seem like, what's the Bible say? A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So what is Peter trying to tell us? I think it's this and I think this is an important lesson during the coronavirus but also every day of our lives. Living in harmony with others. And these four virtues, humility, compassion, love, sympathy. Living in harmony with others speaks volumes about who and what you're really living for. Can I pray with you? Dear God, we just give you thanks, God. Thank you that we can study your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can be in this place and worship you and study your holy word, Lord. We thank you, God, that everything that we have read today from your word is true, it is trustworthy. And so, Lord, our prayer is this, would it be exemplified in our lives? And Lord, I pray that as we go about our week, as those moments pop up when we want to return an insult, or we wanna say something that we shouldn't say, Lord, I pray you guard our lips for the greater good. Lord, I pray that you will help each and every one of us live such a good life, a life that is ordained by you through your word, that those we interact with would see that and be open, perhaps, to also knowing you. Lord, I pray that you help us live our lives with the end in mind, that you are up to something much bigger than we can see. And Lord, help us just to be, well, like your word says, clay in the potter's hands. Lord, that's our prayer, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, amen.